the work week, am I right? But do you know what would make it a little bit better? Doing church on a Sunday and then listening to a podcast about the sermon. Welcome to the Post-Sunday Blues, a preaching post-mortem, a production of Liberty Church Collingswood. Each week we'll spend some time unpacking Sunday sermonics, and we hope that you'll be able to connect a little deeper with the message and the messenger. It's a win, if we can make your work week a little less blue. House lights down. (laughs) House lights down. Here we go, everybody. Welcome to a special edition of the Post-Sunday Blues, a preaching post-mortem. Usually, it's me and my spouse at the mics. This week, it still is me and my spouse at the mics, <laughs> but my work spouse. Eric Mitchell, executive pastor at Liberty Church Collingswood. How are you, my friend? I'm doing all right. It's uh, it's not Monday. It's Tuesday. Right. Full disclosure. but Still post-Sunday. It is post-Sunday. It's a post-Sunday Tuesday, and I'm feeling uh, pretty good. Very good. So... Eric has been on staff in various capacities almost from the very beginning of Liberty Collingswood. He is a brother in arms. I love him a lot, and we are blessed by his preaching here at Liberty Collingswood. Our, our relationship, we call it work spouses. It's like a Tiger Woods marriage, but only better. So that's how good this working relationship Yikes. is. Okay. So, so Eric's a golf fan. He knows who Target Tiger Woods is. It's it's all good. So do most people on the planet, Jim. He's That's like right. One of the most famous people ever. You know, this podcast is known for its esotericism. There we go. So let's call it Stormy Tuesday as we jump into a sermon that Eric you preached on Sunday here at Liberty Collingswood while I was away. The widow at Zarephath, First Kings chapter seventeen. You were looking at verses seven to sixteen. Big picture, what were the, and we've had different church coaching over the years that have used different like business slash church growth world lingo. Uh, What were some of the big rocks that you were trying to move this Sunday or big burdens uh, that you felt God doing within you as you were preparing the sermon? What did you want to communicate? Yeah, I think the, the the, the main big rock when I was just thinking through this passage and got to the point of like, okay, like what, not only what themes are in this passage, but what, like, what about who God is? Like what theological message Mm -hmm. is here? And I, and I landed on like the goodness of God, the benevolence of God, right. Touching a little bit on also the providence of God, um, was something that I really felt strongly that I wanted to hit on and, and to try to push against, I didn't use this term, uh, in the sermon itself, but to push against the idea of like the cosmic watchmaker, you know? Oh the, yes. You know, the uh, idea that this like, is why we have the podcast to go behind the scenes, <laughs> you know, that like God is, I, I did say like, God is not one who is far off, but he's one who's near. He's one who cares for you. He's one who is interested and concerned about your, your needs and your daily needs. Um, and so that was something I felt really strongly about that. I wanted to get across, get across, um, a message of God's goodness, um, and in and, and the character of God, at least at least in that specific way. So that was probably like the biggest rock um, that yeah. I that I really wanted to get across. So cosmic watchmaker, uh, tell me what what does that mean? Go into a little more detail about that, and how can both non Christians fall into the trap at best of cosmic watchmaker, or even more interestingly, maybe how can Christians fall into that trap as well? Yeah. So. Yeah, so the idea of the cosmic watchmaker is just the idea. It's like it's a deistic idea that like 
Yes, there is a God. He exists. He's up there. He created all things, formed all things together, um, just like a watchmaker would, like carefully detailed, puts together the gears and the springs and the wheels and the watch face and the band and everything. But then like cranks the watch and like hands it off and then is done, like wipes his hands and is done. And so it's kind of watches on right now, but there are no watchmakers in the room. They're not. They're not. Um, yeah, so it's the idea. So, so the cosmic watchmaker is sort of the idea that like God is one who is yeah is far off and unconcerned that he wound he wound the watch, you know, however many thousands or millions of years ago, mm-hmm. and uh, is is kind of out of the picture, and that we're right. here to figure out things for ourselves. Um, so that that's kind of the idea there with that. Um, yeah, and I think. You know, actually, I don't want to jump ahead, Jim. I feel I, I feel like I'm about to uh, I'm about to get off script here, which I don't want to do. But um, <laughs> it's jazz. But but jumping Not classical. Yeah, but like one of the one of the the quotes that I that I used was the Tanahishi Coates quote. Yeah, that was really good. Um, and the story about his father and his brother, Big Bill, praying at the kitchen table, and his dad saying, like, "Hey, if you want to pray to somebody, pray to me." Like mm-hmm. I'm the one that puts food on this table, right? Like that is like that is that was a super striking quote. I hadn't been familiar yeah with it. yeah that that but that is right there. I think the the idea of the cosmic watchmaker that you know, and I and I don't honestly know if uh, Tanahishi Coates's father uh, is is a deist or right. something. Yeah, but um, but but I think even for Christians, and one of the reasons that I I pulled that quote, even as I'm preaching to predominantly Christians, is I think the fact that like we so often in our lives can sit down, whether it's at the table and literally with food or whether it's with other material things that we have, um, our own like possessions and have a sense of, Hey, like I earned this, I bought this, this is mine. Um, I have it because of me. Yeah. You know, I, I went to school, I got good grades, I got a good job. I work hard. You know, I bought it with my money and, um, again, like on a material level, like that's true, but on a spiritual level, like the scriptures cl- clearly teach that like, like everything we have is God's, right. um, you know, the Psalms say that he owns the cattle on a thousand Hills, like everything is his and whatever we have, we're simply stewards of, which again is another idea that I didn't use explicitly in, in the yeah, message. But it was there. It was yeah. There. Yeah. The idea of stewardship. And I think that's where Christians, I think can fall into the cosmic watchmaker mentality, um, by, by not realizing day to day, week to week, month to month, whatever, that we are stewards of all that we have, mm-hmm. um, not r- truly like the owners of it, that God is the one who has given it to us as gifts. Right. Yeah, that's all good. And one of the background thinkers for us at Liberty Collinswood, we're going to get to a couple of them here here this morning, but uh, on my sabbatical, Eric, I read Charles Taylor's A Secular Age, talking about right. how the West has become more secular. And even for people of faith, even Christians, we live in the same world that everybody else does that's hyper-mechanized, hyper-technologized, and we are masters of our own fate because there is so much more power that we can do, and God just seems a lot more distant to our daily lives. So the the struggle is real. I also really liked in the sermon, Eric, towards the beginning, it was a really well-crafted, put-together sermon uh, where you asked the question and you were kept returning to it in different ways, which is always nice. I, I appreciate that. Uh, where are you empty or resource scarce? And talking about yeah. the whole like idea of scarcity mindset. That was that was a big part of the sermon. Uh, what was going on behind the scenes there? Yeah, I think it was. It actually that actually came out of um, one of the kind of I have like a document on my computer of it's it's titled like preaching questions. It's which oh. is not a very original. 
document title. <laughs> uh, it's buried in a folder, worship services, preaching, preaching questions. And um, so Eric has folders on his computer. Uh, I just have documents. <laughs> <laughs> same idea. I mean, basically the same system, but go on. Yeah. That's similar also to our email inboxes, Jim. You have an <laughs> inbox while I have folders. <laughs> Um, I've heard of such things. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So I have a document called Preaching Questions. One of the questions on there is like, hey, if you had to draw uh, this sermon passage in a picture to like give to like kids, mm-hmm. like what would it be? And I was like, well, a jar. Like what else is it going to be? Like I, I'm not going to draw like, I guess I could draw like two sticks, like with the woman collecting the two sticks. Sure. But just that image of a jar like stuck in my head. Hmm. Um and so as I was thinking about that, as I was starting to put the sermon together, um, yeah, it just sort of, it just sort of struck me, um, that idea of scarcity and, and that we all have, uh, feelings of scarcity and, um, yeah. And, and there's something in the jar that needs, needs to, that we, we desperately need to be filled. Um, yeah. and, and I think even for myself, like it's possible that that, uh, came out of like my own experience. Like I'm definitely in a season uh, or, in, or in a week, a couple of weeks stretch where I am feeling uh, a lot of scarcity in my own life. For sure. So, uh, you know, ordination stuff, finishing up, preparing to preach, preparing to reassemble this coming Sunday. Like Carrie is 33 weeks pregnant. So that's a thing. And counting. And counting. So um, feeling the crunch, feeling scarce on my own time, on my own energy levels, on my own patience, um, mm-hmm. like not having as much patience with my dog as I should, having as much patience as my do- with my daughter as I should um, recently. And so, yeah, I'm feeling scarce in my, in, my, in, in my own way, in my own life. And so I think, yeah, thinking about that illustration in the jar, it just sort of, it just sort of struck me as, as an illustration to carry, carry through the sermon and challenge people to think about and come back to yeah i forget which of the there's a counseling center in philly called ccef the christian counseling and education foundation maybe it was that the author ed welch or Mm. paul tripp or one of those people that refers to human beings according to creation and fall as leaky vessels how we're yeah we're constantly leaking resources leaking love and need to be filled and god Mm. gives us the security that we can't find um, in other ways, uh, he blesses us with surprising abundance, Yeah, as they say in <laughs> sermons. So <laughs> let's go on to Sun Studios, unless you have anything else big picture-wise, Eric. No, that's good. Let's do it. Okay. So I, I appreciated, and we've been talking a little bit between the two of us about how it's nice to get back to a section of the Bible to preach from yeah, af- sure. after, yes. Yes. after the the... <laughs> the wandering, the 40 days and 40 nights in topical sermons. It's been great to get back. They, I thought the topical sermons were good and important, but I agree. nice to open a couple of commentaries and just see what God has to, to say to us. And, and I appreciated how you brought out some interesting details that I think is just hard to do with a topical sermon, even if you have a Bible passage that's the foundation of the sermon. It's yeah. still different because, it, yeah. because you don't, you're not going into the text with the same lenses. Uh, yeah. Something like the bracketing yeah. Uh, yeah. with the word of God, uh, the beginning of the passage, verse 7. You're welcome, by the way, for that text division when I saw that a yeah. couple of weeks ago. Thanks. The, so, so the ESV, which is the Bible version that we use, attaches verse 7 to the end of the first paragraph of First Kings 17 that I preached on two Sundays ago. All of the commentaries that I saw yeah, yeah. put it with put it with the second one, yep. including for the bracketing possibility that occurs between verse seven and sixteen. Go back to that. 
Yeah, no, it's just one of those things. Like I, when I start my process um, of preparing for a sermon, I print out. It's actually sitting over here on on the table, but I print out. Oh, I see it. The uh, the it text has colors. It has colors. I like highlighters, colors. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I print out the text with no verses, um, just the text, um, and and just kind of like go after it, read it over and over and over and over and mm-hmm. over again. Mark it up. What stands out to me? Repeated words, repeated phrases, interesting right. things, and that was one of the things that that jumped out to me. And I wrote down on there even before I opened a commentary. I thought I was just like, man, like this is like this is a thing here. Like mm-hmm. like this is something to touch on. Um, and, and again, like I said on on Sunday, as well, like hermeneutics is sort of like uh, an area of study, the art and study of scripture. But it's an area of study that I specifically enjoy. Yeah. Um, and in under, from undergrad, in undergrad, yeah. yeah. When I did, I took I took several classes in it. Um, some of them required, some of them elective, and just kind of fell in love with it. And, and bracketing or bookending or whatever you want to call it was one of the, is one of those things that I pretty much always look for. I, I, I found it to be a powerful thing in my own study of scripture to to see those things. Um, yeah, and tell me specifically, Eric. Like, what was the inclusio here, and uh, what? How did you deploy it? Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, so the so the bracket being the phrase, the word of the Lord, or like the word, the word of Yahweh, and in this book, and in, in, in this type of scripture, this prophetic narrative, like one of the purposes in prophetic narrative. Uh, is for people to turn away from sin. Like whether you read a narrative here like Kings or whether you get into like the prophetic books that have the titles of the prophets. Right. Um, Like one of the whole points of like prophetic literature is trying to turn people away from their sin, away from their idolatry, away from whatever um, towards God. And so um, the word of the Lord is a, is a, is a very common refrain or, or or a common theme that like hey he, like thus says the lord and that kind of stuff if you read mm-hmm. Isaiah Jeremiah whatever um so yeah so it just stuck out to me here and I, and I you know if if that's one of the purposes of prophetic literature um and this bracketing is here it was sort of something that I just couldn't ignore right right <laughs> um like when I was putting the sermon together it was actually one of the things that I was struggling with a little bit because I wasn't sure how to make it connect to the other points that I had right um and at one point I thought about like, it was about, smooth. About, it was like butter. It, yeah. Well, it worked out. But at one point I thought like about nodding, nodding. <laughs> hot sauce and garlic. Yeah. Go I on. Like, sorry. I, yeah. I like oysters. <laughs> uh, but it was, but it, it was one of the things I actually thought about cutting at one point and the, and I wrestled with that because I thought, like, oh, really? I can't cut this, like this whole bracketing thing, dude, this is my yeah. jam. Like I have to include yep. this. Yeah. I'm glad you so, did. Um, yes. Yeah, so I came back to it and I want, so I wanted to touch on the idea of obedience uh, to God, obedience to the word of God um, as a part of this passage. Because again, like the historical context, like they're sitting in exile uh, because they've yeah. been disobedient. Right. So um, so, so for the author to, to include this, to include uh, this woman who is being obedient, Elijah who is being obedient, and because of their obedience are being provided for um, and receiving blessing rather than covenant curse. Right. Uh, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I have to include this. Yeah, I I thought it was interesting, Eric, that both you and I and the two sermons that we've done respectively from First Kings both mentioned the exilic and post-exilic original audience Yeah. First Kings. I don't know, would that be... And I'm, you've taken hermeneutics more recently than I have. Would that be a grammatical historical thing or a form criticism thing or a canonical criticism thing when you're 
taking into account original audience and payoff for interpretation there. Uh, um, I would I would I would say I appreciate you recognizing that I'm younger than you. First of all. <laughs> Second of all, um, yeah, You're about ten years fresher on those things. Yeah, I would say historical grammatical, just the idea of like original audience. Stuff. Yeah, like who's the original? Who's the original audience? And then who's the original like reading audience? Which are or, or like who's the audience in the passage and then who's the audience that was reading it. Right. Yeah. And like taking those things into consideration and what was the author's intent mm-hmm. um, when when they uh, penned this or when it was finalized. Yeah, yeah. I, w- I would put that in the historical grammatical category. I Let's think. do it. Helen Wolves, yeah. tell us if we're off base with that. But yeah, that sounds good to me. And I think one of the great things that you put at the end of the sermon was this idea of it's not too late because – the original audience would have been reading the story of the decline and fall of Israel and Judah from exile, but with the hope of yeah. turning back to God. Without that original audience, I don't think you could have gotten to a point like it's not too late, right. but I think is a really important one. Yeah. Yeah. And I think even even more striking, like one of the things in the passage that stuck out to me as well, um, is that the author is... He to get that message across, at least here in this passage, like chooses to use like a non-Israelite, right? Um, and chooses to use not only a non-Israelite but a widow and someone who would be in some ways on the outskirts of society, not a prominent figure, yeah, not bottom a real, of the ladder, yeah, not a religious leader or a wealthy individual, um, but a poor widow. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that. I love I love that about scripture. It reminds me, like you know, the parable of the of the good Samaritan, you know, or, right. or other stories like that where. Um, the the hero of the story, uh, the main the main character, the one who is, uh, in many ways, being pointed to as, hey, be like this individual is mm-hmm. someone that's a little bit like shocking or striking or unexpected, right. um, which again for the Israelites, um, yeah, sitting sitting in exile, you know, thousands of miles away from their homeland, but then because they've been disobedient to read a story or to hear a story verbally about a a, a woman, a pagan woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, poor widow who was being obedient. Uh, it's a little bit of a, a little right. bit of a, a, of a rough thing to hear. Yeah, and Jesus made the point, and Eric, I don't think you reference it directly in the sermon on Sunday, but from Luke chapter four, where Jesus gives the gives his charter, uh, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Did did you explicitly reference that? I, I did not. Okay. Um, and under under guitar slim pickings, not to jump ahead yeah. again, we're all over the place. This is how we roll. This is like staff meeting right here. <laughs> like we're just all over the place. We have an agenda and it just, it's very fluid. Um, True. Uh, but one of the things that I left out was the fact that right after that, uh, in Luke 4, Jesus actually references this story right. um, and references the fact that, hey, there were many poor, many who were in need during the famine time in the days of Elijah, but God sent him to a woman, right. uh, a widow in Zarephath outside, war, war. Yeah, outside the household <laughs> of Israel. Um, yeah, I'm going to get to that. Or if you had mentioned Luke 4 this week, I wouldn't have. So, yeah. Week, but <laughs> so one of the reasons, Yeah, so one <laughs> of the reasons I didn't mention it, I said, I'll leave this for Jim. <laughs> I'll let, I don't want to take all the all the biblical <laughs> Eric is illusions. Jalen Hurts, and I'm Miles Sanders in the flat. Because you're not cursing once, you're not throwing it at my legs. I'm going to catch the pass and run with it. <laughs> True story. Yeah, I know. Uh, yeah, so I, I left that for you. That was one of the things I left out. Um, but uh, but I thought with the with the story coming this week, since he's still there, still with the woman, right, with the widow and Zarephath, uh, that would be that would be good for them. Yeah. So one of the things, and Eric, years ago now, you've you've heard kind of my basic download that I'll give to younger preachers about preaching. And one of the ways that I describe 
engaging with a sermon text is that we want to capture the content and contour of mm. a scriptural passage. Content, the big ideas of any passage of scripture, we want to align with the big ideas of our sermon as opposed to sermons that we've heard over the years where there's some minor detail or a right, word right, right. that's used as like the main point of the sermon that's not at all germane to the main thrust of the passage. That That's actually, and these are really probably conservative preachers that will do that sometimes. Well, I guess mainline mainliners will do it too. That's actually deconstruction when you're taking the cracks and crevices of a passage. So you're being very postmodern. Some of you that are completely against postmodernism <laughs> at the same time. But I would add to that now we want to capture the content and contour of scripture, but also the texture of a scriptural mm. passage. So we want to make sure it's kind of when you're having a conversation with somebody when you're talking to them, but the, you're thinking that this person is not really present with me right now. This person mm. could be talking to anybody. Yeah, yeah, no yeah. Appreciation of conversation. So I thought you did a really good job, Eric, of content and contour and also texture, which brings out some of the some of the finer details to give a deeper character to the passage in the sermon. So things like mentioning words that allude to scarcity in the passage, like mm. morsel yeah, and yeah. little. I thought it was really good that you brought those out in that way. And then towards the end, the detail with verse 13. And Elijah said to her, do not fear, go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me and afterward make something for yourself and your son. I read this passage plenty of times over the years, but that never struck me. So one of the reasons why I love listening to sermons yeah. is that every once in a while you get a nugget like that. Uh, kind of surprising based on all the scarcity Right. Elijah's like, hey, make it a double. Yeah, it's like absolutely bananas. Like the right. fact that, yeah, here's this woman. She has literally two sticks in her hand. He asks for water. She's like, okay, I can do that. And she starts to walk away, and he's like, oh, make me a cake. And she turns around. She's like, all right, I can't do that. Like, hey, look, this is where I'm at, buddy. Like, I just don't got <laughs> you want, it. You want fries with that? I don't got it. And <laughs> then, and then, uh, yeah, and then he's, and then, uh, and then again, comes back again and says, no, yeah, but do it. But but make mine first. Like, <laughs> right. like do not fear, but go and do this scary thing. Um, yeah, that, that that was really striking to me. That um, that was pointed out to me by somebody else. That was an original thought. But I um, but I thought, oh my gosh, like that. Do not fear, but then being challenged to do something that is pretty terrifying is 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 interesting. Right. Yeah. So it's grace and challenge at the same time. The, yeah. The yeah. beauty of the gospel dynamic. Yeah. And it connects to the obedience thing too. The fact that um, sometimes obeying the word of the Lord, like whether we're sitting around reading scripture on a, a Wednesday afternoon, you know, doing our daily office, uh, sometimes the things that God's asked us to do are a little scary, um, can make us a little uncomfortable. That's and, true. Um, and that's the true test of our, of our faith and following the path of God following the way of Jesus is, uh, are we going to do this thing? Um, right. That is clear, but it's scary. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to get that across a little bit. Um, again, that was in the section, the blessing of obedience. So I wanted to, that was the kind of the, the impetus of mentioning that, that one piece. Yeah. Good Bible passage here, man. Anything else on the BB King James version? Uh, no, I think I'm good. Yeah. No, I think I'm good. Looking at my notes. Yeah, I, I think we touched on everything that I had jotted down to, to talk about here. Um, I did want to – one of the challenging things, though, that I will say briefly, and then we can and then we can move on, is the fact that, like, First Kings 17, in some ways, like, as a chapter, has, like, mm -hmm. one message. 
Right. And so by dividing it up into the three different smaller stories is a little bit of a challenge. And so here, um, there is no mention of Ahab. There is no mention of Baal. Mm-hmm. Um, but the chapter and this larger section of 17 through 19, which we're preaching the series on, yeah. is explicitly about idolatry and about Baal. Right. And, and Elijah defeating Baal. Um, and so I wanted to connect it to that, even though it wasn't explicitly in this passage. So yeah, that, that, was, hmm, that hadn't occurred to me when I was listening through. But yeah, so that, right. was a, that was a little bit of a challenge, though it wasn't difficult, obviously, with the whole like drought, Baal being the storm god thing, yeah. um, which you explained last week. And, and, and that was maybe one thing, too, that I wanted to, as a, as a challenge, as I was f- crafting the sermon, I wanted to bring up again the historical context um, and connect it, but I didn't want to go like too deep into the weeds because you talked about it last week. Right. We'll, pro- we'll probably talk about it more in this series, um, but, yeah. but there is like an element of when, when you preach a sermon that's in a series like this, you can build on previous sermons, but they also need to stand alone a little Unity bit. Unity and movement, right? Um, like if somebody didn't hear last week, they still need to understand this, this message for this week. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's like the small group uh, discussion leader in me. Mm-hmm. But wanting every everything to stand alone or, or be able to stand on its own, and so mentioning the historical context, making sure to get the idolatry and Baal element yeah. in there was was important to me too. So. Yeah, and you suck it in, and it's possible that like First Kings seventeen could be preached all together in one sermon, and just the basic message is something like God provides. But going back to that texture idea, by breaking up the chapter into three different sermons. We can we can drive more slowly through the neighborhood, yeah. and, and appreciate more details along the way, yeah. Turning the diamond to use a different analogy, yeah, uh, to be able to to appreciate it more from from different angles. So, let let's muddy the waters. I have a couple questions for you here, and Eric, you can feel free to sure. interject yeah. as well. Are there anything along the lines of, and you've mentioned a couple of them already, under the radar challenges that you faced this past week putting the sermon together? Any points at which you were stuck and you couldn't figure out or thinking, should I go this way or should I go this way? Yeah, this one, um, this one actually w- was one where the, the, the water stayed relatively clear to mm. me, to me through it. Um, okay. which, which, which is nice. And on the one hand, uh, on the first time that I'm debriefing this on a podcast, cause there have been many other sermons in the last six or it'll be what, seven years I've been here Woo! in, uh, in June. Um, where I've where on a Monday or a Tuesday, if you asked me like what was difficult, I would have been like, it was all terrible. <laughs> like I just what was it? Yeah, as like as a as a perfectionist, which I talked about in sermons and with and with you know people in our church, small groups and personal conversations and otherwise. Like one of the one of the things that I can struggle with is when things like aren't clicking and don't feel right. Like mm-hmm. I can just sort of like shut down. Yeah, and instead of like try to persevere through it. Um, and so there's definitely been. And, and you can ask Carrie, my wife, uh, my my real my real wife, <laughs> my real spouse. Funny not my, that you had to clarify not that. Not my work but, spouse. Yeah. Um, you can ask her about the number of times, like whether in undergrad, because we, we were dating in undergrad or in seminary when we were married, where I was writing papers or in different seasons of ministry where I've been writing sermons where on – a, a day or two before it's due, I'm just saying, like, babe, this is not working. Like, something needs right. to, like, click. Like, I don't know what to do. Like, these points don't fit. Like, this is in the wrong place, but I don't know where to put it. Everything is horrible. Everything is horrible. And um, she's heard she's heard that that um, that speech a lot. Um, sorry, baby, if you're listening. <laughs> uh, 
but I mean, I hope she is good illicit. But. Yeah, yeah, I hope so too. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was um, so, so that is often true of me. This was one where it came together pretty easily, um, and and I'll attribute that to God's grace and not to my own my own wisdom. But like, especially the first two points, like pretty early in my study, um, the first two points about the benevolence of Yahweh. And the bankruptcy of Baal, like even those phrases like clicked pretty quick. And I yeah. knew that those were going to be like the two points, main, possibly the only two points, but definitely two of the points. Yeah. Um, and then it was really with that third one, which I mentioned a little bit ago, where trying to fit in the word of the Lord and where to put that ended up creating a third point rather than trying to slide it in somewhere else. And I found another B to make it all work, which was nice. Um, I noticed that. <laughs> I told I said told everybody I was a Baptist. I grew up as a Baptist <laughs> kid, so you gotta have the alliteration. Gotta have the alliteration. Yeah, sermon structures are important not only for sermon listening, but also for sermon writing. It it just yeah. feels like a slog if you're writing a sermon while at the same time you haven't landed on a structure yet, because you don't know what direction in what direction you're plowing the field. But once yeah. you have a, a structure down that you think is workable, it's running downhill from there. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was definitely the way this one came together. Is I, and, and it was one of those things where, um, like for me, as I'm starting to put the sermon together, like it's easy to think about it kind of like throughout your day, even mm-hmm. when you're not working on it. So right. like you're washing dishes or you're going for a run and I'm listening to another sermon, but I'm thinking about my own sermon somehow yeah. at the same time. Yeah. And, um, and, and as those three points sort of like solidified, sliding in like what pieces of the passage or what illustrations that were already rattling around in my head would fit under what point like came together kind of easily but without yeah. those three points locked in right um it's, it's it's more of a challenge it just feels like a big muddy watered soup yep yeah <laughs> yeah and it's it's the structure and also time's important where you know i think eric you and i are, stretch out our sermon prep over and number of hours over a number of days. I, I never get the preachers that no. leave sermon writing to like Friday and Saturday every given week because no. it's just going to be worse because you're you're not giving it time to marinate, to sit, to, yeah. like you said, wash dishes, go on runs. Right, right. Self-edit. Yeah. No, I would die. I've, I've told you this before, Jim, the story of uh, the founding pastor of my old church who actually wasn't there when I was there mm-hmm. in Knoxville. But his uh, practice, which I heard from other people, was – uh, to to uh, to start sermon prep for every Sunday on Thursday, <laughs> and he would he would like go to a cabin in the mountains and like start sermon prep on Thursday and like come back home like Saturday night. That is brutal. And, I, and, I hope and, that things are going well between him and his fifth wife. <laughs> I, I think he's still married to his first wife, but yes, I I think that would put some stress on the marriage. <laughs> uh, unless yeah, maybe he took Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday off. I don't know. But. <laughs> Um, anyway, but yeah, that would stress me out. I, I do need, I actually, one of the things that I, uh, enjoy about not preaching weekly is that I have the ability to think about a single sermon over the course of like a couple of weeks, right. uh, which helps me a lot. I, that, that marination, um, uh, is, is necessary for me to make things kind of click together. Yeah. So I actually wanted to ask that question and post Sunday blues preaching postmortem, not just getting to know the message, but the messenger, Uh-oh. what's it, what's it like? to preach a sermon when one is not the regular or primary preacher at a specific church. Like it, it feels different I'm sure to you than to me. Yeah. Just, just because I, my job description like puts more reps in the pulpit. Yeah. There's a, yeah, there's a couple of elements there. One of them um, from, from a, from a time standpoint, speaking of scarcity, uh, I think my, with no sermon on the horizon, like I, I have full weeks. And, right. and so yeah. 
I, you know, I'm not typically sitting around for uh, hours uh, during smoking a, a pipe. During, and <laughs> that's a reference to no one. <laughs> and um, yeah, I'm not normally just sitting around with my feet propped up and twiddling my thumbs. So, <laughs> um, which is what I do. It's great. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so on a on a uh, when it, when I have a sermon coming up. I have to almost like preparing to go on vacation. I have to like work ahead a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so if I have a small group discussion that I need, that needs to be done in a couple of weeks or um, other meetings that are like regular meetings or regular duties, I try to get those done a little bit early so that I actually have time Yeah. in the weeks leading up, especially the week of, I try to, I try to clear my calendar, not, not clear it, but I try to make it make as space. light as possible the week of to, to finish things up. So there is like that element where like my normal, my normal quote unquote weekly rhythm does not include sermon prep. Yeah. So on, 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 on the weeks leading up to a sermon, that's, that's a big difference. I have to, to really dramatically like change my calendar around a little bit, which is not bad because I enjoy it. Um, but it's just different. Um, I would say the, the other thing that comes to mind, um, and, and maybe, and maybe this, this will come up in like bar band cover tunes or, or whatever, (laughs) like I had a ton of quotes, uh, (laughs) Like one of the challenges of not preaching every week is that like you don't it's hard to it's hard to leave things on the cutting room floor. Right. Um, I remember talking to you about this. I remember talking to Jared Ayers, the former pastor of Liberty Center City, about this once. And um, but just the fact that like since I'm not going to get up in the pulpit again for at least has been the rhythm for the last seven years for another six, eight, maybe ten weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, like if I'm really passionate about like a quote that I've read recently or like a passage of scripture that's on my heart, like. Mm-hmm. If I don't squeeze it in now, I'm never going to get the chance. Like it's right. over. Yeah. Um, whereas I'm assuming, cause I've never been in your shoes. If you know, you're preaching next week and the next week and the next week, like maybe you can fit it in another time. Yeah. Um, so that's a, a little bit of a challenge where, uh, it, it's hard, it's hard to, to cut, to cut things that you feel strongly about, or you feel, uh, that God is, is leading you towards saying, but it, but, but if there's too much, uh, sometimes it can be there's the temptation to just squeeze it all in regardless. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that for sure. Mm. And yeah, sequential preaching is a luxury to be able to say, I'll do, I'll get back to this another time. Uh, what, what's it like psychologically on a Sunday morning when normally a Sunday morning for you has you, your mental space yeah, going in a ton of directions, not related to preaching a sermon. Do you just, you know, add the bandwidth or do you try to turn off some of those other functions or... How do you how do you navigate yeah. multiple hats? No, that's a good question. I, I think um Yeah, no, that's a great I will question. say that or just to fill in the picture here, Eric does a ton of stuff Sunday in and Sunday out. Uh give us a thirty second rundown of like what like what normally are you doing on a Sunday morning? Um smoking a pipe with my feet kicked up. <laughs> no, I mean yeah, like I, I mean it just dep- I mean if I have a meeting before, that's a whole other factor. But no, yeah. I mean, I get yeah, I get here early, help help audio team set up. Now help the video team set up. Right. Um, you know, uh, when we start to reassemble, especially like in in, in quarantine, there's been less to do mm-hmm. on a Sunday morning. But typically, when we're all here, it's like huddling with volunteers, huddling with operations team, running around, checking kids' rooms, kids' spaces, checking on volunteers, checking to make sure things are set up right that the signs are in the right place. Um, yeah. Checking that volunteers are showing up. The communion stuff is ready. Mm-hmm. That the lights are turned on in the right yeah. way and in the right places. And just a lot of those like finer details um, that, uh, that if they're done right, nobody notices. 
Um, right. It's only when they're done wrong that yeah, people Yeah, we talk notice. about officiating weddings where, like, nobody remembers a great wedding. They just remember the <laughs> ones that went horribly yeah, wrong. if you forgot to tell the, the groom to kiss the bride. <laughs> yeah, or got, yeah. Got, got the wife's name wrong or something. Right, right, right. Oh, whoops, that was the last one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's – so yeah, it's a lot of, like, detail stuff. Uh, on a normal Sunday, yeah, and I think I think what's interesting is is um, preaching a sermon for me when just making up a number, let's say forty Sundays out of the year, I'm mm-hmm. thinking not about the sermon. I'm thinking about everything else. Um, preaching is a little bit of an exercise in faith for me because my mental bandwidth, I can't do both. Yeah, and so I do have to choose. Hey, I'm going to focus on the sermon. I'm going to go find a quiet place in the building. I'm going to read the passage through one more time. Mm-hmm. I'm going to read my quotes through one more time just to make sure I've, I've got the words right and I'm re- I feel ready. Yeah. And then I'm just going to get in there and do this thing. And I leave the details to my team leaders and to my volunteers and to other staff. And 99% of the time, like everything goes fine, mm-hmm. but uh, which is, which is God's grace. But then, then the very next Sunday I'm back stressing out and doing it all myself again when, I really should probably just stay in that mental space <laughs> and say like, oh, like maybe I don't need to be the one Interesting. Like, running around like a chicken with my head cut off all the time. If when I'm preaching or if when I'm on vacation or whatever, things go fine. Mm-hmm. Like I should probably just relax a little bit more on a Sunday, but that's that's not always the case. Yeah. You're working hard, man. Also with muddying the waters, a couple other things that, that caught my ear. Uh, it was cool how you used the both the word and concept of building building into our liturgies. Uh, Tish Warren wrote this book, Liturgy of the Ordinary, that, that right. uh, the weekday women's group in our church read through a year or two ago, and talking about like using the Lord's Prayer in that way, the story yeah. about liturgy yeah. growing up. God yeah. is good all the time. Even in less liturgical traditions, there are still liturgies. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, so tell me a little bit more about why you connected there. And I think it's important because, you know, we, we use a lot of liturgy at Liberty Callings, but hope, hopefully it's not useless. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, um, in, in many ways, like both of those are also very personal. So uh, in my own rhythm of daily office or devotions or quiet time or whatever folks want to call it, um, like I, I do use, I do recite the Lord's Prayer daily and it was not something that I did up until really just a few years ago. Mm-hmm. So that's a, a fairly new practice for me, like right. in the broad scheme of things. Um, having grown up in a non-liturgical tradition where we never said the Lord's Prayer ever, like not in church, not ever. It was a Catholic thing. Like we don't do that. Right. Um, <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, so so that's been like a liturgical practice of myself and um, was even debriefing the sermon a little bit with, with Carrie and she's and she made the comment like yeah I think that's a really like that challenge to like pause on give me this day uh, or, or give us this day our daily bread and to be explicit about what you need is really cool and I said that's pretty much what I do every day yeah <laughs> like especially in the last year I mean right. I literally most days pray like hey God here's what's on my calendar for today here's what I need for today mm-hmm. um, like if you don't show up this is gonna be a disaster right right um, so that is a practice of of my own so that was a pretty easy application element because that's something that I do and again like I said like I, I do find myself in a season of scarcity and so it's something I've done increasingly so yeah recently and so um that that um that point and that that application was was pretty easy the, yeah the other one was just kind of like I mean again just as you're letting the 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 uh the themes and the and the passage marinate 
Mm-hmm. Um, that was just one that popped into my head. I just remembered yeah. th- that from being a kid um, as I was dwelling on God's goodness. And uh, and that, that popped into my mind. It, it usually always – I forgot to mention this in the sermon on – on Sunday, uh, as, as I thought about it more, and even after I preached the sermon, I, I, re- I remembered that like it usually wasn't Pastor Sam who did that. It was usually the worship leader, and it was usually before the exact same song every time. Oh. Uh, that was like about like God is good. Double liturgy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, it was a little bit of a lead-in to like you pretty much knew it was coming afterwards, which is kind of funny. But um, yeah, I just think that's it's 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 powerful. It's uh, hopefully hopefully that landed that like liturgy. You know where we, you know, recite the Apostles' Creed, or there's other liturgical pieces that we yep. do regularly. Like liturgy is a powerful thing because that repetition, like, ingrains it into your mind, right? Um, and and hopefully also into your heart. And um, hopefully that hopefully that illustration illustrated that. I mean, it it was really more about the God's goodness piece, mm-hmm. but but I think it was a liturgical element. Hopefully, it did illustrate the value of liturgy a little bit, which is why. I, I said a couple of words about that um, yeah. during that illustration. Yeah, I think it came across really well, Eric, and I'm not surprised to hear that there was a deep personal connection there too. I think it's a balancing. On one hand, preachers don't want to overshare and put too much of themselves right. in a sermon where we joke about how preaching is cheaper than therapy, but every once in a while you'll listen to a sermon where it's like, I feel like a therapist. I'm, I'm going to invoice you for this sermon because you're working out all of your neuroses in real time. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, then yeah. on the other hand, we, we don't want to be blank when we preach when like for sure. know, any human being could have given this sermon. There's no personality whatsoever. Right. And I think often the sweet spot is when when things that God has been doing at work and being at work in our lives, we're able to like pay that forward and share it with other people. So Yeah, yeah. And, and it's one of those things too is I dwell on – my my own personal history, my own faith journey. I think I, I I think at times I can forget some of the good things that I learned. Yeah. Um, from a previous church context that I'm no longer a part of, for one reason because I live 600 plus miles away from it. Yeah. But also even in college and seminary, I moved moved more towards a Presbyterian Reformed theology and tradition. Um. But that is the tradition that I began following Jesus in, and God did a lot of work in my life and in Carrie's life. We grew up in the same church, um, in that church and in that tradition. And I think even trying to share something like that, hopefully also, uh, even even for myself, for other people, is just a reminder that like, hey, like our, our journeys are like broader and longer and deeper, and God is at work and at times maybe when we don't even realize it or, or maybe we've forgotten like, yeah. places where God's been at work. And so... Even for me, it's good just to reflect on on my time uh, in that church as a as a kid, as a as a middle schooler, as a high schooler, and uh, yeah, and to think about the ways that I was shaped and formed there. Right, we're always being shaped and formed, and the good news is that God is sovereign and that His process is longer and deeper than ours. I last last couple of weeks, I mentioned in podcasts and sermon some of my growing up in suburban New Orleans, being a little bit connected with the church was not overall a strong church, and I always want to be careful when I talk about that church that even though it wasn't the best church in the world, there are still some sermons that have stuck with me yeah. from there. Yeah, Still, and it was a high liturgical, high Presbyterian, for high for Presbyterian li- liturgical church, which and parts of the liturgy still stick with me, uh, and I, I realize that God has been at work in those moments. So muddying the waters, the only other thing I have here, Eric, is I like the couple of triads that you use. John Frame Uh-oh. is smiling somewhere. So the three ways to diagnose 
idols are three things to look at. Yeah. The calendar, the credit card, and the phone. The app, uh, yeah. Very nice. I guess I got them in the wrong order. Phone, calendar, credit card. And then also the application. I thought it was really skillful. Typically in sermons, and this goes back to the Reformation and post-Reformation period, applications at the end when you get all of the bullet right, points. Right. But being able to like layer application throughout the sermon. And then by the end of it, when you say, hey, I've given you three things, uh, Lord's Prayer, excavating your own idols, and giving from scarcity. Yeah. Uh, and when you, when you don't feel abundant, still being generous with those things. It was a nice rhetorical strategy. And I appreciate that. That's about right in terms of application. If it's any more than that, yeah, people are just going to lose the list. Uh, yeah. but, but you hit the sweet spot with, with both of those things. And psychiatrists will say that there's something that humans uniquely learn when they come in threes. Ooh. So beautiful perceptive thanks bud no yeah i yeah that was one of the fun things about this sermon that as it was coming together and as i stuck those application points at the end of each of those main sections rather than at the end it felt like it just worked Mm -hmm. um and so that was kind of a fun thing to do not something that i typically do um but it's that's kind of one of the fun things about the sermon writing process is to try different things um and so that was something that kind of just came together and, and, but I really liked it. It also, it also helped me. Um, one of the things I remember us talking about too, I thought you were going to reference this a minute ago, Okay, but was, uh, was the idea of, of, of sermons having, uh, like a through line. Right. Um, it's something that, that you, we've talked about before mm-hmm. when we've talked about, uh, talked about crafting sermons. And I thought by putting the application after each point, I could, I could bring up the image of the jar and, yeah. and some some of the other like themes like mm-hmm. more frequently rather than like just at one just at the beginning just at the end i was yeah. able to like bring that image up a couple more times in the mm-hmm. middle by putting the application right there so it helped me keep that through line and keep that image hopefully in people's minds a little bit more than if i'd only mentioned it twice i was able to mention it like four or five times right yeah um, so that was that was part of the strategy too was to it helped it helped me get get that through line nice I like it. So let's go on to bar band cover tunes. The I missed a bar band this past weekend that Hackbeats and a couple other bands locally yeah. had been scheduled to play a concert last month. It was rained out, rescheduled for this Sunday. But I was in New Orleans, didn't hear the Hackbeats and some other bands locally. I did hear, say, on Thursday night, a uh, New Orleans brass band called the Brassaholics when in their encore set, they were playing songs not typically associated with the New Orleans brass band tradition. So I got a brass band rendering of Smells Like Teen Spirit by Nirvana. <laughs> and one of those moments where you think the universe really is all about you. Bon Jovi living on a prayer in yeah. New Orleans by the Brassaholics. <laughs> I, I, I was waiting for the explicit dedication of the song to me at the end of the set. It didn't come, but they were thinking about me the whole time. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. <laughs> yeah, so you, yeah, you, you used a lot of references. I'll say, though, that they were, they were skillfully rendered. So sometimes I'll, I'll be asked the question, like, how many references are too many? And my answer is, like, well, it depends on how many that you can skillfully deploy. Yeah, so, yeah. So, so it's a... The answer, the bottom line to me is a qualitative one, not a quantitative one. Yeah. Use a lot of references, but they were well integrated into the sermon and they all worked. Wanted to ask you, so you began, you're more of a documentary watcher than me, Sisters of the World. Where, yeah, Sisters on the Planet. Sisters on the Planet. Yeah, th- so this was something. Sisters, whatever you do, do not Google Sisters of the World. 
<laughs> I don't know what that's going to be. <laughs> I, I yeah. don't know either. Yeah, Sisters on the Planet. Yeah, so I actually um, – yeah, this was actually a, an illustration that uh, I, I got from, from, a, from a different commentator who was talking about this passage – um and and referenced this film and so I went and I watched it and okay. it was it's only like eight or nine minutes or maybe ten minutes long so it's gotcha. not like it's not like an hour and a half documentary or anything mm-hmm. um but yeah I when I watched it I you know it, it was striking to me it's not it's not a place that I think I would have went without like that prod mm-hmm. um but I think what was helpful about it and one of the when the reason that I used it was that I wanted I wanted people at the beginning of the sermon to like connect a little bit like emotionally with like yeah. the widow um, mm-hmm. and to try to put put their put themselves in her shoes a little bit. Mm-hmm. It, it's so easy when we read scripture and I've done this even even since I've preached this sermon like doing my daily office yesterday or this morning or whatever where like you read a passage of scripture and you just read it too fast. Right. And you don't you don't really like stop to think about some of the details are like, man, what, what did this really feel like? What was this really like? Yeah. And I think it would be so easy to read this passage and, and, and to read about the widow's plight and to just miss like what, what that really would have been like and felt like for yeah. her and the situation that she was really truly in, how desperate she was um, when she says like, Hey, I'm collecting these sticks to make a final meal for, for me and my son and die. Like that's pretty dramatic. <laughs> right. So how was your day? Yeah. And so um, so, so one of the reasons that I chose to use that illustration, um, and I chose that one quote out of it uh, f- from the woman in, in that film, was, was just to try to get a little bit of that, that mm-hmm. emotional connection to the passage before before just sort of like jumping into like hermeneutics land um, yep. was to try to, to get people to, to, to think in that way. So that was kind of where, where, where that came from. Yeah, so we had Sisters of the World. I appreciated... Sisters on the Planet. <laughs> Sorry, Sisters of, of the Planet or on the Planet? Uh, on, I believe. Sweet. On, on the Planet. So Sisters on the Planet. You also gave it a callback at the end of the sermon. Nice, yeah. once again. Through line. Through line. Ta-Nehisi Coates. That was a really, I think, yeah, powerful and illustrative story. Yeah. Uh, do you want to tell us more about that? Or... No, I don't think really. I mean, we talked about it a little bit before, yeah. but um, I just thought that was a good... That w- that was a good illustration to get at the uh, at the Striking. cosmic watchmaker and the goodness of yeah. God thing. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, I appreciated the Heidelberg Catechism. What what is it? Not by blind chance, but by God's fatherly hand, or yeah, something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. That's that's kind of something. So finishing my uh, my ordination through the RCA, the the, the three uh, the three st- historic standards of the RCA, the Belgic Confession, the Heidelberg Catechism, and the Canons of Dort. Like one of my personal preaching challenges is to try to incorporate those more. Hmm. Um, and, and so when I, when I landed on the goodness of God, the providence of God, like I opened all three of those and and skimmed through them looking, looking for what they had to say on that. And so that was kind of, that's kind of like a a preaching goal of mine is to Mm -hmm. try to get, um, to try to get, and I didn't quote like a long passage, like I could have, but I I chose instead just to quote a phrase here. And I actually alluded to the, the Heidel or I alluded to the Belgic at another place without actually quoting it, um, but but I wanted I wanted to get like some phrases in there. That's kind of just a preaching, yeah. like a personal preaching goal of mine that I have right now. So that's kind of where that came from. Nice, yeah. The Heidelberg Catechism, we preached through a part of that a couple of years ago at Liberty yeah. Calling. So yeah. I remember that that sermon from I forget what question and answer it was with God's providence, the fatherly hand one. That was one of my favorite sermons from that mm. series. Striking, and it's both truth and warmth. And yeah. if you compare, you know, Westminster Confession of Faith, 
about the provenance of God. It's just a, it, it's a confession, not a catechism. So there's a diff- different context right, behind it. Right, right. But but it's so much more clinical and sterile than yeah than how the Heidelberg talks about those things. So okay, we got maybe the first sermon ever that included both Tanahazi Coates and the Heidelberg Catech Heidelberg Catechism, uh, and and then you went into some some, some other evergreens. Tolkien did out of the frying pan and into the fire come from Lord of the Rings. Yeah, it's it's really? the it's the title of a chapter. Uh, I had no idea in Lord of, in, in Lord of the Rings, or actually in um, excuse me in uh, the Hobbit. Okay, so I thought it, it was in Screw Tape Letters. Um, just kidding. C.S. <laughs> you Lewis. made me question I know. Uh, maybe, but if he did, he stole it from his sure. his good friend. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's it's uh, without getting into like Lord of the Rings uh, nerdery, which I feel like I'm outing myself a little bit right here. Like I've, <laughs> I've told I, I've told very few people about my um, like my love and passion for the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit. Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, I feel like I, I wasn't I wasn't prepared to, to let this cat out of the bag. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to the Disney Plus TV show that's going to be based on Lord of the Rings. It's going to be really good. Is that really? It's going to be incorporated into the MCU. Okay, <laughs> that sounds awful. <laughs> yeah, but but I think Amazon is actually doing a I wouldn't surprise Lord me. of the Rings thing in development. Peter Jackson's executive producing, I believe. But anyway, God, out just, of the frying pan into the fryer. That guy's made so much money on, yeah. on Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. Yeah, so it, it's a, it's the title of a chapter where uh, where the 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 company like comes. I don't want to get into the whole deal, but they they come out of. A situation, uh, and and they and they basically end up in a worse one. Like they they escape, mm-hmm. uh, and it's like woof, and then like they realize like oh crap, like this is actually bad. Like now there's these other enemies, and this is even worse. Right. So that's kind of like the the idea there that um, yeah, that for Elijah, he goes to the brook, he's fed there. He's he has the water. He's fed by the ravens. Um, like that was a tough situation to like go into the desert or, or on the edge of the desert. Um, but like God met him there and then he like leaves that situation. Uh, but instead of going to like a better one, he actually ends up in a worse one. Right. Where he's in Zarephath, like at the heart of Baalism, like with and like the the one who God called to provide for him, like has nothing. <laughs> so right. This is like, wait a second. Like this is worse. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like I've, you know, so anyway, that so that was just um that was kind of the just the illusion there. I thought it would just be fun to slide in. Uh, yeah, I liked it. And, and the fire is turned up next passage when the widow's son dies. So it is. You mentioned yeah. the intensification throughout the chapter. Yeah, 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 yeah. So Tolkien and then John Stott, really solid quote about idolatry. What do you know? What book that was from? Or? I I don't. I'd have to I'd have to go back and, yeah. and look. I I I chose that quote specifically just because like we talk about modern idolatry a lot at mm-hmm. Liberty Collinswood yeah. as as people who listen to this podcast or people have heard. Right. Your sermons or our sermons or just liberty sermons in general, though. Sure. Yep. And so I wanted to I wanted to use a quote that I don't think we've used before. Just I wasn't familiar with it. That's yeah, why. It yeah, just because like attention. it's it's so easy to. Um, just I mean, we love Tim Keller. Keller. <laughs> we love Tim Keller. He's hate, got <laughs> hate him. <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say anything else. But uh, he's a pastor in New York, by the way. Um, and it's easy to to grab a Tim. Keller quote on idolatry, which are all great and fantastic, obviously. And and there's other quotes that like we've used at different times. So I just wanted to, to use one that was a little bit different. Yeah. Um, and like John Stott's still like a white guy, so it's not necessarily like dramatically different, but he is he is British and he is Anglican. So like I thought that would it's at least a slightly different tradition. Yeah. yeah. So I thought that could be fun mm-hmm. uh, just to try to get outside of the the reformed 
I guess it's still reformed. The American s- s- Dutch reformed, at least, uh, tradition. Sure. Uh, so so that so that was kind of why I pulled that. And I liked his his list. I thought his list was not exhaustive, but was pretty long. Representative. Yeah, which way. I which I appreciated. Um, and 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 so I thought that would be a fun one. It, and and it connected some in the fact that at the beginning and end of the sermon, when I was talking about the jar, I mm-hmm. I also had like a, a longer list of like potential things. And so using that quote too, where he had a longer list of potential things kind of was a natural fit there, I guess. But. Yeah. Yeah. It worked. And so he gave us a lot of good Bible references too, towards the beginning of the sermon from old and new Testament about God's provision and his abundant goodness to us. Yeah. How he's not resource scarce. Yeah. And that's not like a super common thing that I've, I've done or we do, but it, again, it felt like, Okay, if, if if the doctrine of like God's goodness, the doctrine yeah, of God's providence, teeth. yeah, it's gonna be something that I'm gonna mention here. Like like let's give a little like scriptural support without yeah. like giving like a an aside for like five, ten minutes. You know, right. like I, I didn't want to do something like that. But um but yeah, but to but to pause for a second and, and read a few passages that I think illustrate it powerfully. So that was that was why I, I wanted to do that. And and also going from uh, yeah, using using a, a psalm, so so Old Testament. Uh, you have the words of Jesus from the Gospels, and then mm-hmm. I guess Acts isn't technically a letter, but it's a it's a different genre of New Testament. So yeah, to try to to try to pull from from different places of Scripture to illustrate the point too. Right. Yeah. And then at the end, you when you're talking about risky obedience and giving from scarcity, trusting in God's abundance, you quoted First John five three, for this is yeah. the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. Great quote, great verse of the Bible to illustrate what you're going for there. Yeah, yeah, and and again, that was one that just came to me as I was preparing for the passage. So it was the it was the 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 New Testament letter reading in the Book of Common Prayer from last Wednesday, and um, it's just like, oh yeah, that that'll work, that'll do. Yep. Um, yeah, so it was kind of a late addition in some ways to the to the sermon. Um, but but there are other and and First John I, th- I thought Jim that w- it could be a fun book to preach through and then it's like it's very repetitive though it's the only problem. Uh, I my, my first church I preached through it. Did you? Okay. It, it was rough by the end. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I stopped listening to my sermons midway through the sermon series. <laughs> it's a great book, but it, it is. But it and other places like uh, even in the Gospel of John, um, yeah, like there's the idea of like yeah commands not being burdensome. Um, and 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 it, that's a little bit of an oxymoron. That doesn't yeah. feel right when you first read it. And so, yeah, I just wanted to to use that, quote that briefly, and and again connect it back to the goodness of God, just to say that like, hey, like this is true, but it's only true because God's good. Like if God wasn't right. good, this would be the opposite. Like yeah, it would be His commands would be enslaving, not freeing. Right. Yeah, and we'll. This is for another podcast another time, but Eric, something that we've been talking about a lot in terms of ministry in this cultural context. There are many skeptical friends and neighbors that would simply disagree with First John five three and say that the right. commands of God are incredibly burdensome yeah. and bad for human beings. Yeah. But we yeah. need to articulate a positive vision of the beauty of gospel obedience. Yeah, and it's just not true if you don't believe in the goodness of God. <laughs> right. Right. And so, um, yeah. So that so that was kind of the that was kind of the point. Commands there. without context. Yeah. 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 Right. Anything else, Bart? Oh, I I did want to mention I caught a snippet of a song reference. The. Uh-oh. Uh, and I, did I, do it on I, I didn't look up the title, so it, I don't think it's one that's in the rotation here at Liberty Collingswood, but uh, the God is good, it's who you are. Oh, yeah. You you did say at one point, God is good, it's who he is. Was that an intentional you or know, it, unintentional? So that's really funny. You know, it was not intentional, but 
at one point in my sermon the process, liturgies. yeah, at one point in my sermon process, I wrote down, so, uh, so Bethel music has a song called the goodness of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was from a couple albums ago. That's really good. I did listen to this last week while I was, um, preparing and it reminded me of that song. Uh, like you're a good, good father. Yeah. Good, good father. Yeah. And, and so that, that is like basically a quote from that, which I did jot that down at one point in my notes as like a Uh. potential thing to quote from, but I never did, but I, I never went back to it. So it just slipped in, I guess. That's funny. Sermon as pamplimcest, where we see behind the surface of the manuscript to things. Yeah. But if you, if you want another application point, go listen to those two songs this week, everybody. Very good. No, uh, we're keeping it at three. Don't, don't do that. Okay. We we already researched. Sorry. Sorry, John. (laughs) I'm kidding. So guitar slim pickings. Let's see what else we've got here. Really appreciated your, your use of language throughout the sermon. I mentioned the callbacks towards the beginning. There was a phrase using jar and jug that I thought was good. And here's something that I was looking forward to bringing up with you. Uh Uh-oh. Towards the beginning of the sermon, and I, w- I didn't watch the video. I was just listening to audio. I thought, huh, this sermon sounds a little bit different. And then I paused and said, I think Eric's preaching from a manuscript here. And then you mentioned later in the sermon preaching from a manuscript. Yeah, because I got lost. So, so that was exciting to me. Like, tell me, and I am not a manuscript preacher. Yeah. There, there are pros and cons to every system, there but are. I'm always excited to talk to people who use different systems than me. Uh, Why do you go manuscript, and how did, how did it feel? Yeah, so it, it wasn't a pure manuscript. So it's, it's right here. It's like less than four pages. So it does have bullet do you mind points. If I see it? Can you pass it across the socially distanced table? Here it is right here. <laughs> I'm walking 20 yards to get it. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that, it's a it's a good question, and there there's a there's there's two answers for it. Um, so my process historically in my decades and decades of preaching, I hear you. Obviously, a joke. Um, is that I, I I don't I don't type like a full manuscript word for word. It's sort yeah. of a mixture of bullet points but then i do type i do i will type out some word some like sentences and things right um word for word um but traditionally my process is to then take that into and to slam it all onto one page yeah where it's very uh bullet pointy just like some phrases and some words and i you and, use images before too. And, I'll, and i'll stick images in there too that help right. me um but it all fits on one page, so I don't have to flip any papers like mm-hmm. up up in the pulpit, and right. it gives me a little bit more white space to improvise a little bit. Yeah. Um, so that's been my process for years, um, and I like it. And I, and I'm and I'm. It's not that I won't go back to it, um, but one of the things and I was telling Carrie this as well uh, is that during the last year where we've had to, whether it was before we started live streaming, we were recording Mm -hmm. um, or during live streaming, I have started to think more about like my words, like being careful with my words. Um, Part of that is like, like on a, like on a Sunday morning pre COVID, like when I would get up to do announcements, like I had thought zero about what I was going to say right. as I gave announcements. Yeah. But when I had to... That re- was always my strategy with announcements too. Yeah. They were great. <laughs> <laughs> Folks could tell. <laughs> uh, so, but um, but when we had to record, like it didn't... Like I, ha- I at least had to write something down. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And so 
Um, so all the way back, like last, like March, April, May or whatever, like when I was having to, to write the announcements down or write other pieces down more specifically than I ever had before. Mm-hmm. Like it just had me starting to, I, I just started to think more about that. And so um, even in my, and I've preached a couple of times during quarantine, but, um, and still used my old process, but for this sermon and, and, and that's, in, that's increased like that idea of like wanting to be careful with my words, like mm-hmm. whether in announcements or whether in other parts on Sunday morning or otherwise. Yeah. Um, and so for this sermon, I just, I just sort of made the decision to like, Hey, like there's some sentences, there's some phrases that I really want to like nail Yeah. in this. I really want to make sure I say them exactly the way I have them written because, right. um, because I like the way they sound, whether mm-hmm. it's because of like the alliteration or, or just some sort of connection. Yeah. And so I just decided to leave it a little bit more manuscripty. Um, so that I so that I had those written out rather than just had like a bullet point where I'd have to like try to recall on demand. Yeah. Um, so so that was part of it. Like I just I wanted to be more specific with words. Um, the other part of it too is also uh, going back to scarcity of time. So I also oh, just didn't. I also just kind of ran out of time to the mother of invention. Yeah. To to take this manuscript and spend another, I don't know, hour or, mm-hmm. or more. Sometimes it takes a while to yeah. like to like condense it down. Uh, like all the way to, to from four pages to one page, like yeah. takes some work, right? And I just sort of ran out of time. Um, yeah. So it was a, so it was a both and, but it was a, it was but I was happy to do it. It was fun to do. Um, I think I I think my sweet spot's probably somewhere in the middle. Um, I was gonna ask if you're gonna do the same method again. Yeah, I, I again, it's kind of again one of those things that's like fun to play with. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think I think next time maybe I'll go somewhere in the middle. I I, I think I was starting to feel the pressure of the one page where. Um, I just wasn't saying things clear as clearly as I, I probably should and could. Yeah. And so I'd thought actually over the last couple of sermons about maybe going to two pages hmm. with a similar format. Right. Um, still, still keeping a similar format, but going to two pages where I could have some longer sentences if I needed them. Um, so that's probably where I'll go next time. But this is four pages, a little bit more manuscripty than I typically do. And um, it's a little bit too many words mm-hmm. and not, not quite enough white space. So I'll probably, yeah, go, go somewhere. Happy medium. I like it. I like like where you're going. Yeah, I changed my sermon writing process really for the first time in 15 years over pandemic. Still not using a manuscript though, but yeah, that that's a deficit. One of the chief benefits of manuscript writing is sharpness of words and clarity of expression at the surface level. Yeah, it's at least on my radar that that's a deficit that I constantly need to be aware of. If I'm not using a manuscript, I still need to pay attention to use of words so that it's not yeah. just a toothpaste squeeze when we get to Sunday morning. Right, 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 right. The other thing I have for guitar slim pickings, and we don't need to spend a lot of time here, Eric, you uh, used a few times during the sermon the phrase, the way of Jesus. And I was wondering, is there a little... Uh, West Coast, Portland, Oregon, John Mark Comer no, sneaking in there. No, who's that? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, we don't want to reveal too much on this podcast, right? There's there's some behind the scenes things that it's are like burlesque uh, level. Yeah, that are uh, that that Jim and I are, are, are talking about right now. Um, but yeah, but have been have been listening to uh, to, so, to some John Mark Comer. So so one of my um, some people know this, but one of my 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 Lenten practice for this past year which Jim, you always challenge us to lay something down and pick something up. Mm-hmm. And so as I was thinking about that, preparing for Lent this year, um, I, I thought about like, what could I lay down and pick up that would like, uh, that would connect together? 
And so yeah. the practice that I landed on was to lay down uh, podcasts related to sports, um, which I listened to a lot of NFL and golf podcasts. Um, it was challenging for me to hear that because yeah, looking at I my know. phone, seeing just how much. So when I open, so the answer for me that when I open my phone, what does my what what app does my thumb naturally go to is Overcast, uh, right? This is my podcatcher. So. Um, so yeah, so I laid down sports podcasts and picked up uh, sermons. So I've been listening. Yeah. So over during Lent, I was listening weekly, not not to all three of these preachers every week, but to to John Mark Comer, uh, who's who's in Portland, Oregon. Uh, Scott Sauls, former pastor at Redeemer in New York City, who's now at Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, mm-hmm. Tennessee. Right. Uh, and then also. Um, uh, why am I blank? Kevin DeYoung, mm-hmm. who was a former RCA guy in Michigan, who's now uh, at a large Presbyterian church in North Carolina. So I've been listening to the, those three. Um, yeah, so so that language of the way Jesus has 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 been on my mind a lot uh, over these months. Uh, listening to Comer, also just been struck as well, even in my own like personal reading. I also use the phrase "the paths of God." Um, Huh. Which also uh, is 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 in the Old Testament in several places and a couple of Psalms that I've done some reflecting on just in my own kind of daily office and uh, and and the idea of a journey has always been one that has been a striking image to me for the Christian life. Yeah. Um, so I'm a runner. I got into running through trail running mm-hmm. um, in college, and so the idea of the Christian life as kind of like an ultra marathon on trail right has always has, is an image that I think about a lot, and so. Um, yeah, so the so that 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 phrase, the paths of God, was mm-hmm. really striking to me as well. So yeah, so so I I, I brought those in. Uh, those will probably be phrases that are going to find their way into my language a lot moving forward. Just, yeah, I like them. Yeah, so yeah, and I think or one of the books that I read on my sabbatical was Long Obedience in the Same Direction yeah, by Jim sure. Peterson, which I probably wouldn't have read if you hadn't mentioned that book to me. Yeah, previously to my sabbatical. So yeah, that's another idea. Of like, yeah long journey exactly yeah great book um yeah people say that that's the christians songs of ascent right uh correct yeah. yeah 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 that's a yeah he yeah he goes through each of the song psalms of ascent in a chapter it's which really, you're traveling songs yeah which is it's, and it's a great 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 book i think i lent it to somebody and they never gave it back i have no idea who has my copy um <laughs> i have a lot of books like that um i have some books i need to return to you yes do you really we'll talk about i have later. two of yours actually I, like i had to <laughs> To, to get ready for the new for the new nursery, I'm having to sacrifice two out of my three bookshelves in my office. Oh no! Uh, and uh, so my books are in uh, clear totes, thanks Home Depot, in the basement, um, uh, like many of my books. And hmm. but the two of yours that I have, I kept upstairs on the shelf so that I don't forget to read them. One, I give them back to you. Let me, two. Let me think about what they are. Don't don't tell me. Nice. Fair Guitar enough. Slim Pickens, anything else you got here? The only other thing that I had that I was going to mention was that Luke 4, but we talked about that a little bit yeah. earlier, so I left that behind. Um, I also debated on on talking about uh, like Jesus as the, as a greater Elijah and like mm-hmm. the feeding of the 5,000 um, was, like, oh, yeah. was like a story that popped into my mind as I was preparing just to think about like, hey, Elijah, like, like through God's power and, and in a miracle story, like provides for this woman and her son, which is a lot of food, uh, you know, three meals a day over the course of, uh, of a couple of years, most likely. But, mm-hmm. uh, but Jesus providing 
uh, for a crowd of, of five to maybe 10,000 people yep. in one shot with leftovers is pretty, is pretty intense. Yeah. Um, so like that was a story that came to mind that I thought about including, but I, but I scrapped, um, you know, the other thing that's kind of interesting, I, I, like I think I could write a, a 100% different sermon like uh, on this same passage, like if I was to write it for uh, like leaders or like hmm. other pastors. So there's a whole there's a whole like um, angle here about like ministry and mission. Um, and it connects. And that's actually where my mind went with the story of 5002 with like from the perspective of the boy that had hmm. like, like the loaves and the fish, right? that the woman has uh, very little. She's a person of no repute. Uh, she yeah, has, has meager offerings. Um, she went out that day with no grand aspirations, mm-hmm. um, but God uses her. He uses what she had uh, in her hands, so to speak, in her jar. And she uh, uses her in a divine moment that day that she wasn't expecting um, to minister to Elijah and to minister to the people of God. So there's kind of a whole like ministry angle, like mission angle that came to mind. And that definitely did not fit with the other points. Uh, So that would like was a big chunk that got left on the cutting room floor. But I would be, I would be interested to almost think about writing a whole nother like talk uh, from from that angle at some point for somebody else. But that was, that was, that was something that uh, was left on the cutting room floor. Interesting. Yeah. Save it for the book or otherwise that, (laughs) that'd be, yeah, that's really interesting. And the feeding of 5,000, I think in, it's in a couple of different, at least two different synoptic accounts. And I think every passage has Jesus at one point directly addressing the disciples saying, you give them something to eat. Yeah. And yeah. So, yeah, that, that there's a call to ministry there. Well, hey, we are at our encores right now. Oh, the boy. plane is coming in for a landing. Helen Wolves, write in to us at postsundayblues at gmail.com. I do have from this past week, and it came to my gym at Liberty address, so I won't use the person's name, a new listener saying congratulations about the podcast. Eric, let's take the win here. And Woo. the first, first Helen Wolf of this kind, this person had listened to the podcast I did with Matt Harmon saying that Matt was coming to the main line was on the lookout for housing. This person emailed in with a real estate tip, uh, a house on the main line. So I'm going to forward that on to Matt. It's going to be great. Beautiful. Yeah. If you have any other thoughts or questions, you know where to find us. Anything else, Eric, that you'd want to give to our loyal Howland Wolves? No, I don't think so. Um, Just to say, if you have any questions for me specifically, feel free to write them in. I will answer them in eight to 10 weeks. (laughs) (laughs) it's like that decoder rig when you were growing up thanks for listening everybody how was it that was amazing thanks so much for joining us this has been the post sunday blues a preaching post-mortem production of liberty collingswood go ahead rate review and subscribe and you can find all things liberty collingswood at libertycollingswood.org no more post sunday blues here comes some pre-sunday happy All right, check one, two. How'd, how'd the Masters go? The Masters? That was like a couple of weeks ago. Well, we never debriefed about it. It was good. Yeah. Did uh, Tiger win? <laughs> Tiger was in like a severe car accident a few <laughs> weeks ago. But did he win? <laughs>